Good morning, brothers and sisters. We send a warm welcome to all our brothers and sisters who have joined us in church this morning. We also extend a special welcome to all the visitors who have joined us here in church and also via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel and may God be praised and glorified by our worship. The consistory has the following announcements. Sister Tamara Buchholt and Brother Daniel Vanderwall from the Free Reformed Church of Byford have indicated their intention to enter into the married state according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and complete it to his glory. If no lawful objections are brought forward, the ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, on Saturday the 10th of December at 10.30am in the Free Form Church of Byford with Reverend D. Poppy officiating. You are reminded of the annual general meeting to be held in this building at 8pm tomorrow. You are also reminded that next week the Sunday morning service will be held in the Lumen Christie Sports Hall at 9.30am. And Reverend Poppy will lead the worship service this morning. Before we begin, let us sing together from Psalm 117, verse 1. rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to our God this morning. We're going to sing from Psalm 56, the verses 1, 4, and 5.
One of the ways in which the Lord reveals himself to us is through his covenant law. It's in his law that he shows us his system of values, the things that he appreciates and the things that that are dear to him. Let's learn about the character of our God this morning and let's do so by listening to the law as it comes to us in Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. It's a great act of kindness that the Lord gives us his law. He convicts us not only of his character, but also how we can reflect that character in our de- his character in our dealings with one another. When we reflect on it, then we realize how we often fall short of that. So let's also make a confession of that. Let's confess our sins to God and seek his forgiveness. And let's do so now with the words of Psalm 130, verses 1 through 4.
Let's pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, Lord. We thank you that you reveal yourself as the God who's seated on the throne with power and authority. It's a really important thing for us, Father, because we're engaged in spiritual warfare. We are sinners. And sometimes sin reaches into our lives and it causes a profound amount of distress for us. Sometimes we, we get caught up in really difficult things. Sometimes we, we face breakdown of relationship and then sometimes things go really badly in, in the future in that relationship. But sometimes it happens to us that we face health concerns. Sometimes we face temptation. Sometimes we, we face alienation from those who are dear to us. Your Father in heaven, you know the circumstances of our lives and you know the struggles that go along with that. We come to you this morning, Lord, to confess that we haven't always responded well to these things. There's times where we've given in to sin. There's times where we, we gave in to temptation we followed it. There's times where we responded really badly to other people in, in certain situations, sometimes to, to family members, to our parents, to our husband, to our wife, to our siblings. And sometimes it happens to us that, that we allowed certain sinful thoughts and attitudes to dominate our lives. Greed and lust and anger and selfishness. And sometimes it happened to us as well, Lord, that, that we sinned against you. That we haven't honored you. We haven't trusted you. We haven't depended upon you. When we look at all these things, Lord, then we stand before you with empty hands. And then it is it's a very precious thing for us to know that you are the king who is seated on the throne in heaven, that you are the one who has responsibility for, for our salvation, and that you decide to, to give us salvation as a free gift through sending your son into this world to pay for our sins. And so, Lord, we, we confess our sins to you. You know our hearts for each one of us. We, we tell you this morning that we're sorry about those things, and we repent of them, and we seek to flee from them. We want to ask you for your grace in Jesus Christ, that for Christ's sake that you show us mercy, and that you not hold it against us, that you be kind to us, and that you wipe us clean through the blood of your Son. We pray also, Father, that we may live out of an awareness of your grace to us, that this can be the determining factor of our lives, and as you, as you have shown grace to us, that we may live in, in gratitude and in love before you and in love with the people around us. Father, thank you for teaching us what that's supposed to look like. Thank you for giving us your law, for teaching us your, your values, and for showing us your character. We pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen us with your spirit, that we may walk in your ways, that we obey your law, that we do so with great joy, that this is a matter of, of, of thankfulness and of gratitude for us, and that in this way that, that our lives can be blessed through you. Father, we ask that you would please bless us in the time that we have together with you this morning. Please strengthen and encourage us through the proclamation of the gospel. We're so grateful that you call us into your presence. You give us a day of rest. You, you bring us here because you wish to extend your grace to us. Help us to realize what a great God you are, what a precious gift it is to be your children. Please keep sin and evil far from us. And please hear us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So, brothers and sisters, two weeks ago I had the opportunity of preaching to you from Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 12. Had a very brief sermon at that time, looked very quickly at a few of these items, and I thought it might be helpful for us to spend a bit more time to, to look at the spiritual warfare that we're involved in. So we're going to preach out of that passage, and I'd like to, to read two passages of Scripture in connection with that, first from Matthew 12 and then from Ephesians 1. So I invite you to open your Bible with me, Matthew 12, the verses 22 to 32. So you can find that on page 971 of your guest Bible. The Matthew 12, we'll start reading at verse 22. Hear the word of God. That a demon-possessed, a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not scatter with, does not gather with me, scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So far to our reading from Matthew, then we turn to Ephesians. We're going to read together from Ephesians 1, the last verse of the chapter. You find that on page 1159 of your guest Bible. So in Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul is praying for the Ephesians that they may know God. The God's word continues, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, 
and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So far the reading of God's holy word, let's now sing together. We're going to sing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is given authority by the Father, Psalm 2, the verses 1 and 2.
The text for the sermon this morning is taken from Ephesians 6. We're going to consider once again Ephesians 6, the verses 10 through 12. Once again, brothers and sisters, maybe we'll just put that into the context of the next verses as well. So I'll preach on the verses 10 to 12, but we'll read the verses 10 through 20. Ephesians 6, verse 10, page 1163. There God's word says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So far. And after the proclamation of God's word, we'll sing together the the next two verses from Psalm 2. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, God teaches us in Ephesians 6 that we're involved in spiritual warfare. Last week we had an initial look at these verses, the verses 10 to 12. We saw a few ways in which we are being attacked by, by these spiritual forces of evil. And then we also saw how the Lord calls us to find strength in him and in his mighty power. There's a real emphasis on the power of God in rescuing his people. Well, this morning, what I'd like to do with you is is take it apart a little bit more to consider the nature of spiritual attack. If you actually look through the rest of the Bible, there's quite a few passages that refer to spiritual attack, and especially even with regards to the Ephesians and the current situation of the Ephesians. So I'd like to open that up with you a little bit this morning. And then next week, the Lord willing, we're going to take a closer look at the armor that God gives us to, to resist the devil and to stand firm in the faith. So this morning I preach God's word to you with this theme, the only way to stand against the devil's schemes is to be strong in the Lord. We'll see in the first place the devil's schemes and then secondly, the Lord's strength. So I'd like to start by asking you, brothers and sisters, if you know the way in which you are being attacked spiritually. Do you know your enemy? Well, that's one of the 
the foundational aspects of warfare. If you're a commander, if you're a general in an army, then the only way that you're going to be able to defend yourself, the only way you're going to win a confrontation is if you know your enemy. You need to know his abilities. What are his strengths? What are his weaknesses? How is he going to attack you? What do you need to defend against? What ability do you have compared to his forces? What's a foundationally important question to consider with regards to your spiritual well-being? Do you know your enemy? Do you know the way in which you're being attacked? It's the only way that you can understand how to defend yourself. When the Apostle addresses this matter with the Ephesians, he tells God's people in verse 11 to put on the whole armor of God so that they can take their stand against the schemes of the devil. This word for scheme, we saw it means some cunning or crafty trickery. The devil schemes against us. He's cunning. He's crafty. He seeks to trick you and to enslave you. We saw last week that part of this is that he deceives people. It's quite striking what a, what a huge theme that is in the New Testament. In his books to the Corinthians and Galatians and Colossians, Paul warns God's people about the influence of false teaching. And I'll just take one minute with you just to show you that this false teaching is connected to the activity of Satan. So the first passage, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4, Paul warns against these Polish orators who were speaking to the Corinthians. Now these, these people were, were called the super apostles. The apostle says that the problem is that they were bringing a different Christ. He says in verse 13 that these men are false apostles. They're deceitful workmen. They disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. But he says, in fact, they are servants of Satan. We have a similar thing in Galatians. Galatians 4.9. The apostle says that a return to circumcision and legal observances of the law is a return to slavery and to the elemental spirits of the world. These elemental spirits, this is a reference to demonic spirits. If you go back to that teaching, Paul's saying you're going back to something that's demonically inspired, that's contrary to the message of the gospel, that you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Or in Colossians 2.8, he warns the church against being taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit, and he says these things, they're not only human traditions, they're not only empty philosophy, But he also says that the elemental spirits of the world inspire these things. Once again, the demons inspire the false philosophies of the Roman and the Greek times. Now we know that these these problems were also evident in, in Ephesus. Paul later wrote a book to Timothy. He wrote the letters 1 and 2 Timothy. And Timothy was actually a minister that was left behind in Ephesus to preach to the Ephesians. And he wrote in 2 Timothy 2 verse 24 to warn Timothy against these false teachers. He told them to gently instruct those who oppose him 
in the hope that God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. These men in Ephesus, these false teachers, were ensnared by the devil. They were captives of Satan. They were used by Satan to try to lead the rest of the church astray. When you think about this, do you understand why we're really careful as a Reformed church against false teaching? One of the foundations that we're built upon is that we need to go back to the truth of God's word. Christ warns us again and again that one of the primary ways in which the devil leads people astray is by bringing in these false teachers who secretly introduce these heresies and who lead the church away from the Savior. The devil, he wants to enslave you, brothers and sisters. One time it's legalism. It becomes all about the rules so that you need to obey the rules. Then you end up with this religion that's Christ plus. Or the next time, it's licentiousness. We're saved in Christ. And so we can do whatever we want to do. And you're free to, to continue to sin and to do whatever you want. But the next time, it's to twist the message so it's not about sin and about God's grace in Jesus Christ, but that it's about health and wealth and welfare. And the next time, it's to emphasize God's love so much that sin becomes trivial. And that you ignore sin. And people live these, these lives that are caught up in sin. Well, there's no end of ways that the devil seeks to lead people astray, away from the Lord, and away from his son, Jesus Christ. Well, tomorrow, we get to celebrate Reformation Day. 31st October, get to remember tomorrow that 505 years ago, Martin Luther nailed up the 95 Theses on the church doors in Wittenberg. It was the start of the Great Reformation, this this huge revival, renewal, that swept over over Europe and that changed the world. And one of the foundational elements that came out of the Reformation is this thinking of sola scriptura, scripture alone. We go back to the word and we base ourselves on the truth of God's word. And so in the the following decades, the reformers, they they sought to go back to the word and to understand the true teachings of the Bible. And they reformed not just the doctrine and the liturgy, but also the offices and the sacraments and the lives of God's people as they went back to the true teachings of the Bible to understand who God is and what God has done for us. The greatest gift that we have, brothers and sisters, is the gift of the word. We're going to see next week We're going to see that a number of of the parts of the armor that God gives us in spiritual warfare refer back to the Word. We need the Word. We need to read it, to study it, to meditate on it. It's when you hear the Word preached that you receive one of the greatest gifts of God. Faithful preaching is the means the Lord uses to gather His church, to defend His people from spiritual assault. Then you know, brothers and sisters, it's not just false teaching 
that Satan uses. Now, the way he actually attacks God's people sometimes is through physical assault. The Apostle Paul, he talks about that personally. He had that experience. 2 Corinthians 12, at one point he had this, this thorn in the flesh. It's really striking. He defines that thorn in the flesh as a messenger of Satan. So Satan attacked him physically in his body. We're not sure exactly what it was. But as a result of that, he, he, he really struggled. And he prayed to God. On three occasions, he asked God, he said, Lord, please, 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 can you set me free? Can you, can you heal me? Can you make it well for me? And God said, no. In the end, God said, don't ask again. He says, I'm using this to keep you humble because of the great revelations that I gave to you. Well, it's not only Luther who experienced this. There's also others. Sorry, not Luther, not Paul. There's also others. Think of Job. Job was attacked by the devil. Or if you think of the woman... Luke 13, verse 11, we're told about this woman who was crippled so that she was bent over and she couldn't straighten up for 18 years. Well, Christ heals her, and he says that she was bound by Satan for 18 years. The Bible doesn't often associate physical ailments with, with demonic attack, but it does sometimes. Sometimes he does. There's a few occasions where that happens. But we also know that when people experience physical ailments, it's when you're sick, when you're physically down, when you're, when you're in a lot of pain, and especially if that goes on for an extended period of time, if you have an illness that drags, illness that drags out for days, for weeks, for months, for years. And sometimes that gets in your head. Sometimes you get into this really dark place in your thinking. You have a really difficult time dealing with that. And it's when you're weak. That's often when the spiritual forces of darkness, they attack you. They try to lead you to give up hope. And to lose trust. And to bring you down into the darkness. Well, closely associated with that, you have the devil's persecution. Sometimes he persecutes God's people. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And the experience, this was the experience of the Ephesians. When the Lord Jesus Christ writes a letter to his churches, he writes one letter to the Ephesians, and he talks there about how the Ephesians, they bore up patiently out of the attacks that they faced. And so they also went through it. They faced these attacks in different ways, this persecution. But they were able to handle it, and they bore up under it, and Christ commends them for their faithful service. Well, there's so many others who had that similar experience. Revelation 2, verse 10, the church of Smyrna is warned that the devil will throw some of them into prison. Or a few verses later, it says that Satan was behind the murder of one of Christ's faithful witnesses, Anipas. We're told in Revelation 12 that he is this red dragon who seeks to make war against the woman and against her seed. Now, you know, today, we're able to be here, we come to church, there's no policemen standing in the parking lot waiting to arrest us, government officials are not going to throw us in prison for being here, 
We're not in a time, we're not in a culture where we need to suffer this, where we're suffering this kind of persecution. And that's a real special gift of God. It's a really special time that we have. It's quite a unique experience. In the Christian experience, this is quite unique, what we received here from God. Other times it happens that people, they experience this kind of persecution, this oppression, much closer to home. It's possible you have parents who have failed you, parents who have mistreated you. It's possible you have siblings who are after you, who are always on your case. It's possible that you're a student at school and you're bullied by other people at school and it's relentless. It goes on and on and on. And again, those are the kinds of situations in which the devil attacks people He persecutes them, and he seeks to use those opportunities to gain power in people's lives. It's often in those kind of circumstances that we often face other temptations. The devil is the great tempter. And it's quite striking. It's true in James 1. James says that that when these temptations, when we're faced with temptations, and when they, they bubble up in our hearts, that we're enticed to do evil, that that's primarily a personal responsibility comes from our own hearts our hearts are evil and that's why we're tempted but it's really striking it's a few chapters later James 3 it's in verse 15 that James also tells us that certain forms of worldly wisdom are not only earthly and unspiritual but he says they're also of the devil Satan puts us into a world And the world seeks to tempt us into sin. The devil tempts us. And then you see how that happens, how it plays out. It's not only Eve, Genesis 3, it's quite striking. 1 John 3.12 tells us that it is Satan who puts it in Cain's heart to murder his brother. It is Satan who enters Judas to betray Christ. It is Satan who enters into Ananias and Sapphira to lead them to lie to the Holy Spirit. Now the devil, he tempts you time and again. He knows the circumstances. He knows your weakness. He knows how to hit you when you're down. It's not to say that, that it's a sin to be tempted. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he lived a perfect life, and yet he was also tempted. The devil tried to tempt him into sin. But the sin comes in when you give in to temptation, when you fall for it, when you go for it. Well, brothers and sisters, you hear about these things, and one level might seem kind of distant. Just gone through a lot of Bible passages here where the Lord tells us about all these people in the past who faced different kinds of attacks from the devil. The The point that the Apostle Paul is making here in Ephesians 6 is he's saying, this is not only something in the past. It's not only something that happened to people long ago. He says this is real for us today. Right here, right now, we also are wrestling against the rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These are all references to the devil and his demons. They are wrestling with you. 
They are in close hand-to-hand combat. The word was used of soldiers who were wrestling with other soldiers in close combat. That's the experience that we have as the people of God. If you're not careful, then they will gain power in your life. They will lead you into temptation. And they seek to dominate and to control your life more and more. And it's really striking in this regard to look at the language that the scripture uses of, of the nature of, of temptation and the, the impact that temptation and sin has in our lives. The Bible shows us that in some ways we are in danger. The Lord is quite clear in his word that it is possible for a Christian to allow an evil force to have a controlling or dominating influence in his or her life. It is in Romans 6 verse 12 that the Apostle Paul warns God's people. He says, let not sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. The word reign is strong language. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. Reign means to establish a kingdom. This is a basileia. He says, Satan wants to establish his kingdom in your life. Well, Jesus Christ comes as the king and he is establishing a kingdom. But if you give in to sin and if you allow sin to perpetuate in your heart, then sin will also reign over you. It will have power over you. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 25, the Lord uses similar language. He warns against these people who have been taken captive by the devil. 2 Timothy 2 verse 25, Timothy is to gently instruct those who oppose him in the hope that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may escape from the snare of the devil after having been captured by him to do his will. They've been captured by him. They are his captives. They do his will. Can you imagine? Satan gains control. He has power over people's lives. How does it happen? It's back in 1 Timothy 6. Paul warned Timothy against men who would arise in their midst. They would use the gospel as a way of getting people to follow them. These were proud men. And these were greedy men. And they used the gospel to gain a following. Well, they imagine that godliness is a means of financial gain. God says in the end, they fell into temptation and into a trap. He said they have been taken captive by the devil. It's a pretty serious thing. There are these people who have this dark, diabolical force that has power over their lives. Something similar Paul warns the Ephesians against in chapter 5. Sorry, about chapter 4. You have this this passage about anger. Ephesians 4, verse, verse 16. There he says, Be angry 
and do not sin. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Now, the word for opportunity, tapos, it's a word that can also mean inhabited space. Sorry, uninhabited space. An empty space. He says, give no opportunity to the devil. Give no place for the devil. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was, he was put in the manger because there was no place for him in the end. There was no space for him in the end. The Lord Jesus Christ says to us, John 14, he's going into heaven to prepare a place for us. Again, it's the same word. But what he's saying now is God's saying, if you give anger an opportunity to fester in your life, if you don't deal with it, then you give place. You give an opportunity. You create space in your heart for the devil to get a foothold, to get power over you. And so it's when you when you commit sin and when you perpetuate sin in your life, when you don't repent of that sin, you don't flee from that sin, the devil uses that, he leverages that to get more and more power over you. And what's true of, of anger, if you put it into the rest of the context there of, of, of Ephesians 4 and 5, will also be true of, of sexual immorality, of slander, of bitterness, of clamor, of fighting, of rage. It's when we give these sins free reign in our hearts if we don't repent of them. And these are the means that, God, that Satan uses to gain power over you. Do you know where it ends sometimes, brothers and sisters? Do you know what it leads to for some people? Is demon possession. Or rather, maybe we should use the term being demonized. Where a demon has control in your life. Sometimes demons gain power through sin. Many other times, it happens when people invite them into their lives. That's the context that we read of in Acts 19. The Ephesians were living in a world where people at times invited demons into their lives. That was normal within the culture in which they lived. Sometimes they would want a spirit guide. Sometimes they would say an incantation, or they would pray a prayer to a demon. They would ask the demon for power. They would ask the demon for help. They would allow the demon to come into them in order to assist them to achieve whatever they wanted to do. Well, you can do that, brothers and sisters. You can, you can make that happen. You can make a deal with the devil where you invite him into your life, where you seek his power, where you give control of yourself over to him. One of the great gifts of God is through the Reformation, the spread of the, the gospel from Europe around the world is that much of the Western world has been spared from this kind of oppression by demons. Now, in the Western world, we, we have a legacy for centuries where, we, where the Lord Jesus Christ and his word has had a dominating influence over society. But you know, it's really in the past 50 years, in the past 100 years, that our society has rejected Jesus Christ as King and Lord. 
And it's because of that that there's this enormous vacuum. And the devil is happy to fill the vacuum. He's rushing in. He wants to reintroduce Western society to all the old demons and gods of the past. I had the experience some time ago, I walked through Carousel Mall, came to the bookstore, I think it's Dymox there. So they had half a dozen tables out in front of the, the bookstore. And I was looking through the books. And almost half of the books out on the table had something to do with inviting demons into your life. Books about the Zodiac. Books about witchcraft. Books about finding your spirit guide. Or following healing energies. You have a diary that's written by a witch that introduces you to many of the demons in the past and that tells you what incantation to say on what day in order to invite the help of that demon into your life. These days, we're in the normalization stage. The devil's strategy, had a, a take on the strategy of the homosexuals 50 years ago. The first thing is to blanket society and to make it normal. So the video games you play, the books you, you read, the movies you watch, the television programs you watch, they're all inundated with more and more of the demonic. You can cast spells, you can get involved in witchcraft, you have gods and other characters who have special magical abilities. He's introducing us to evil spirits. Now the sad thing, that sometimes today, we Christians in the Western world, we treat it as a bit of harmless fun. We dabble with it. Well, it's not the truth of it. You talk to Christians who come out of the third world, and they know what this is all about. They look at us, they see us reading this stuff, and watching it, and playing around with this stuff, and they ask us if we're out of our minds. Are you a Christian? Do you understand that this is diabolical? This is from the devil? And so why are you doing this stuff? Clinton Arnold is a New Testament scholar who wrote a dissertation on the power of God. As he was studying what the New Testament had to say about God's power, then he realized the only way you can make sense of God's power is to also make sense of the powers that oppose him, the spiritual forces of darkness. It led him to do a great deal of study of what the Bible says about the devil and his demons and about the power that they have. Well, he's on the understanding that the power that demons have in people's lives is on a continuum. So he thinks on one end you have temptation. And then next to it, you have a person who regularly gives in to temptation. And then next to that, you have a person who's been devoured, been taken captive. And next to that, you have a person who's been demonized. They are under the control of demons. 
Well, what's the truth of your life, brothers and sisters? Do you give in to temptation? Do you regularly give in to temptation? Has it gone even further than that? Have you become devoured? Taken captive? Have you maybe even become demonized? Does sin reign in your mortal body so that you are enslaved to sin? You know, sin is first fun. The reason it's a temptation is because there's a lure. It's really appealing. But by the time you start regularly giving in to temptation, it's not so fun anymore. It starts getting really painful. It becomes really destructive. And the further you go down the continuum, the more destructive it becomes. If you become captive, then it's actually really terrifying. There is this powerful force in your life that's destroying you. And you hate it. You hate what it's doing to you. And it estranges you from God. And it estranges you from the people around you. And it destroys your relationships. And it sucks the life out of you. And you're in that space and you feel helpless. And you want it to change. And you wish it would be different. But you don't have any way of getting out from under it. Have you ever been there, brothers and sisters? Did you feel defeated? Do you feel demoralized, dominated? Have you ever heard the voices? It can get really scary. But the good news is that God is more powerful. Christ has the authority. He has won the victory. The message that Paul gives to the Ephesians, this is their world. This is what they knew. This is what they lived. And Paul comes to them and he says to them, you need to understand that Jesus Christ has authority and power that is far greater than the devil or any of his demons. God has raised him to the heavenly realms. He has seated him in the heavenly realms and he has given him power over every name and title that can be given. Jesus Christ is the one who has the authority. And as you believe in him, as you put your hope and trust in him, then Christ has the power to set you free from the devil and his demons. Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would be filled with wisdom and spiritual insight so that they may understand the extent of Christ's power and that they may draw on that power in their struggle against sin and the devil. It is the same prayer that we need to pray, brothers and sisters. The most important thing we need to do is we need to understand who Christ is. We need to understand what he has done for us. We read a few minutes ago from Matthew 12. Jesus Christ is in confrontation with the devil. There's this man there who's both blind 
and mute. There's an evil spirit, there's a demon who attacked him. He was mean. The man couldn't see and the man couldn't talk. And so for the most part, he's lost in his own world. He has no way of communicating with the people around him. As an act of profound love, Jesus Christ comes in. He breaks into this man's life. As an act of kindness, he casts out the demon. He orders the demon out of that man. And he says that that man is no longer going to be under the power of that evil spirit. Well, he rescues him. And the people are wondering if maybe he's the Christ. Could this be the Christ? He does these things. The Pharisees, they're immediately filled with this jealousy, and they say, no, it's only possible because he's in league with the devil. He's Beelzebub, the prince of demons. He's in league with him, and so that's the only way that he can do this. And then Christ shows the truth of that. He says, it makes no sense for me to cast out my own demon. If I'm in league with Satan, if Satan casts out his own demons, he says, that makes no sense. But he says, if I do this by the power of God, that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Our Lord Jesus Christ has come to establish his kingdom in this world, to defeat the devil and his demons, and to rescue his people and to bring them into his power. 1 John 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. If you are struggling against sin, brothers and sisters, then the most important thing you need is to rely upon Christ and upon his power. Colossians 1.13, God promises you, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and you have been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Our passage says that you need to put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand. There is an evil day. The apostle Peter, he faced his evil day. Satan asked to sift him like wheat. And Christ prayed for him in that moment that he would remain faithful. But we also will face an evil day, brothers and sisters. And the only way to stand in the evil day is by relying upon the power of God. You must look to Jesus Christ in faith. You must call upon him. You must repent of your sin. You must seek, your faith, seek his face and trust in his might. The truth of the Christian life is that if you are in Christ Jesus, if you believe in him as your savior, if you repent of your sin and seek his face, then Satan has got nothing on you. He has no power over you. You don't even have to spend the rest of your life struggling against certain sins being hopeless, that you'll never be able to get out from it. Because the language that the scripture uses is that God is someone who rescues his people. He sets us free. He liberates us. Now, it's really hard to fathom, but Christ wants you to think of yourself as so closely connected to him that you can already consider yourself as having died to sin and being resurrected and exalted with him. 
That's the language he uses, Ephesians 2 verse 5. You have been made alive in Christ. You are seated with him in the heavenly places. Christ's rule, his authority, is so great in the lives of his people that today already, as someone who's in Christ, you are made alive. And you are reigning with him on the throne in heaven over sin and the devil and all his creatures. He will help you. He will rescue you. He will set you free. Is it automatic? No, it's not. Does it happen without a struggle? No, it doesn't. It's a lifelong struggle, brothers and sisters. Next week, we're going to see that the Lord, he teaches us how to do it. He teaches us what it looks like. You need to put on the armor of God. And the term that he uses four times is the term stand. At the end of the day, the most important thing is that you remain standing. That you're a soldier who's still standing when the battle ends. And God says he will strengthen you. Christ will strengthen you with his spirit. He'll draw near to you. He'll give you his tools. Christ will give you everything you need so that at the end you will remain standing despite the attacks that you face. In the words of James 4, verse 7, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, let's sing of the power that our Lord Jesus Christ has, the power that he's willing to use on our behalf as well. We're going to sing from Psalm 2, the verses 3 and 4.
Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. There's a number of members of our congregation and others who will remember in prayer this morning. First place, we'll thank the Lord that our sister Sandra Dingle could have a successful operation. Also pray that God continue to grant healing for her. She's had quite a bit of trouble with one of the nerves in her legs, and so she can't use her, her leglet yet. So she's still in the hospital, and she's going to have to move to rehab hospital. So we're going to ask God to, to provide healing, continued healing for her. We'll also thank the Lord that our sister Helena Bullhouse could also have knee surgery, successful knee surgery. We'll ask that the Lord grants continued healing for her. We'll also pray for our brother Hank Plug. Our brother's been hospitalized again this past week. He had a number of episodes, quite serious, actually really intense pain, followed by a bunch of neurological um, after effects, and, and then he's, he's just completely... Um, tired out after that and he's had quite a few of those episodes this past week and so we'll pray for him and for his family that the Lord would continue to sustain them we will ask the Lord also to um, to comfort our brother and sister Dick and Lucy Pott our brother's brother-in-law in in the Netherlands Sieber Riedstra he passed away so we'll ask that God would would grant them comfort with that also pray for recovery for our brother and his wife They, they also came down from down with COVID they've just returned from the Netherlands and so we'll ask for healing for them We'll thank the Lord that um, our brother Anson Van Delden could sustain his classical exam yesterday, that he, he passed and he's, his call to Lagana has been approved, and that in about six weeks that he'll start the work there, and so we'll pray for a blessing over that. We'll also thank the Lord that our sister Yanni Zardesma could celebrate her 93rd birthday yesterday, and so we'll pray to God for continued blessing for our sister. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, we honor you, that you are the one who has the power and the authority. We honor you for the love that you have, that you sent your son into this world to die on the cross for our sins and to take our curse upon himself. Thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us from Satan's power. Thank you that you have delivered us from the dominion of darkness, that you have transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved son. We thank you that we may be in Christ. And as those who are in Christ, we can live lives that are free, lives that are filled with love, with joy, with peace, with contentment, with gratitude. You are a faithful God, and you love us, and you have rescued us, and we honor you. We thank you, Lord, that sin doesn't have the final say in our lives, that you have set us free from sin and from its effects. We are ready today to experience that in part, and we look forward to the great day of the return of our Savior. On that day, Lord, then then you will rescue us altogether from sin and the devil. You will bring us into your eternal kingdom. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that you would work powerfully in our hearts so that none of us is missing. We ask that you would work repentance within us, that we recognize our sin for what it is, that we resist sin, that we resist the devil, Please grant, Lord, that he may flee from us. We ask, Lord, that we not allow sin to reign in our mortal bodies, but rather please work powerfully within us so that we walk with you and that your spirit has control of our lives. Thank you for the joy that you give to us, and thank you for the peace that comes through your Son. Lord, we are the most blessed people in the world, and we honor you and we praise you for that. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to discern the attacks that we face. Sometimes the devil tempts us, and sometimes he seeks to deceive us. 
Sometimes he attacks us and he persecutes us. Sometimes even through the people who are closest to us. Sometimes it happens that we have to face illness. Sometimes we have, we have long-term ailments that we have to struggle with. Will you please remind us that you are near us and that you will carry us, that you are a father who loves us and that you will provide for us. Please give this sense to our brother Plug. Please be near to him and to his wife and to their family. Carry them through this difficult time. Please be a father to them. Please give him relief from the pain. And please grant that he can have a good attitude and that he can have a, a peaceful spirit through, through the powerful working of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would surround this family with a special measure of your grace. We also pray, Father, that you would please accept our thanks for the operations that our sister Sandra Dingle and sister Helena Bullhouse could have this past week. We want to pray for your blessing over their recovery. We want to ask, Father, that you would be near to them, that you grant healing to them, that it may go well with them. We pray most of all, Lord, that you would give the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the nearness of your spirit, that you would comfort them and that it may go well with them. Father in heaven, we also pray that you would please comfort our brother and sister Pot as they, they grieve the, the loss of a, of a brother-in-law. Lord, please be near to them and, and also grant them healing. Grant that it may go well with them, that they can again meet with us and worship with us, and that we may also be blessed by their fellowship. We thank you, Father, for the other gifts that you have given to us. We thank you that, that our sister Zarisma could celebrate her 93rd birthday yesterday. What a, what a gift that you've given to her, 93 years. Please continue to be a father to her. Please surround her with a sense of your care and nearness, and also grant that, that as your people, that we're able to, to show your love towards her as well. Father, we ask that you would please also take care of the, the year 12 students, they're scheduled to write their ATAR exams this coming week. Pray that you would bless them, Lord, that you give them peace of heart, to give them the ability to remember what they have learned. Grant that they may indeed be well prepared for these exams and that they can give a good testimony of the things that they have learned. Please grant, Lord, that this may be a good development in their education, that they use this for good ends to, to grow and develop their gifts and their understanding, and that they use their gifts in service of your name. Please give them peace and comfort. Grant that they're not anxious about these things, but please protect them with your Holy Spirit and grant that it may go well. We also pray, Father, wish to thank you for the blessing that you've given to our bond of churches. We're so grateful, Lord, for, for Brother Anson Vandelden that he could sustain his classical examination. Thank you, Lord, that you've opened the way for him to become a minister of the gospel, and we wish to pray for your blessing over him and over the congregation of Lagana. Please grant that he may faithfully bring your word to your people. And please grant your blessing over the congregation, that they may grow in faith and love towards you. Please bless the relationship that they may have together, Father. Grant that as minister and congregation, that they may love one another from the heart, and that they're able to assist each other in the service of your name. Father, we also pray that you would be near to our brother and his family, as they have to, to make arrangements to, to move from Canada to, to Australia. Please keep them safe and protect them, and please grant that all things may go well for them. Then, Father, we also wish to thank you that, that at this time, tomorrow, we could celebrate the, the gift of Reformation Day. We're so grateful for the, for the reform that you worked within your church, that there was this great renewal. Your people returned to your word, and they understood who you were and what you have done. 
We want to honor you for that. We want to pray, Father, that, that this work of reformation may continue within us. Please grant that we may constantly go back to your word, that we may be true to the scriptures. Please help us, Father, that we not fall away from you, that we not turn from your ways. Please grant that we may appreciate the, the gifts that you have given to us, that we may treasure the heritage that we have received, that we may continue to grow and build on that. Father, please grant that as, as parents we may teach our children about these things. And please, please help us also within the congregation that we may provide good leadership to your people to walk in faithfulness and humility before you. Father, we're also hoping to meet tomorrow together as a congregation to have our annual general meeting. We should ask you for your blessing over that. Grant that we can have a good meeting together, that we can reflect together on the gifts that you've given us, that we can be also deeply grateful for all the blessings that you've provided to us. Please be near to us in the rest of this day, Lord. Give us a blessed day in fellowship together. Keep sin and evil. Keep the devil far from us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. He is our king, and he is the power. And for his sake, we, we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to God. The collection this morning is for the mission work in PNG. Then after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 33, the verses 1 through 4.
receive God's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.